Hello, everybody. This is Noah and John, and we are from Urban Digs, and we are doing Talking Manhattan today, Johnny. We're bringing it back, John. Back in the saddle. Yep. Back in the saddle. We need to hear from those agents what's going on, these top producing agents um, on the streets of Manhattan real estate. And joining us today, we got Julianne Bond, Senior Global Real Estate Advisor over at Sotheby's International Realty. Thank you so much for joining us. And Julianne, I'm going to put you right on the hot seat, and I'm going to go right Right into it because this market is a challenging one indeed. Could you please give us any insights on what you see is happening in the markets today? Yeah, challenging is definitely the right word for it. Um, it's it's a market that seems to uh, be playing favorites. That's how I would describe it. Um, you know, we don't have, we haven't had a lot of inventory. Uh, so that's another thing I would say, but we're starting to see more. Uh, we're starting to see buyers re-engaging or engaging if they haven't been in the market. That's kind of typical of what we'd see right now. But definitely we're seeing buyers that are favoring uh, properties that don't need a lot of work. So they're punishing the ones that do. And we're kind of seeing buyers favoring condos over co-ops uh, more than usual. That's what I'm seeing personally. And I think that seems to be kind of true if you look at data. Yeah, the data, the data is certainly showing that. I mean, it's 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 a challenging market indeed. When I look at um the success rate and listings that are going onto contract and going off market, and you said something that was really important. Um, it sounds like buyers are um choosing favorites and they're punishing those that are not the favorites. Could you just elaborate a little more? Is it are you telling me that if you are not renovated and you need any type of update, even if you were renovation 10, 12 years ago, that's starting to get outdated. Is that in the category of being punished? Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, this, I've now been doing this for 23 years and I have not seen this to this degree before. I've seen it, you know, greater or lesser degrees, you know, buyers definitely will factor it in. I've seen that in other markets, but I haven't seen it where they will just absolutely turn away. They just won't even do it. They won't make offers. Um, they're too worried, seems. What are they worried about? Time and money. I mean, okay. who's who's not worried <laughs> about that, right? I mean, and that, and that's and it's interesting because we just put out a piece on, on Urban Digs, and this is one of the recurring pieces that we have talking about what that renovation premium is right what the discount is for unrenovated and it's sort of at record highs i mean now obviously it's this is still mid 2023 so it could it, it could change but we're looking almost like a 30 percent discount for unrented to renovated which is a much wider than it typically is and i think that kind of feeds into the next question which we had for you julianne which is you know what's hot what's not and you say that you know unrenovated properties and perennially they they are generally not hot because it's just the effort now of course when you have a market like 2015 and, and the market's going crazy and there's no supply, yeah, unrenovated can be hot. But are there other things that you see out there that are problematic for sellers? And at the same time, are there things you see that buyers are just really hungry for, like you said, condos? Yeah, I mean, I think buyers, I'm I mean, I watch the market very closely. I thank you guys for all the data that you're putting out. So I'm, you know, I'm paying very close attention every week. And what I'm noticing is, you know, there are buildings that are historically the the, the buildings that everybody wanted to live in. It's been difficult for those properties in those buildings to sell. 
you know, I think buyers just do not want to be hassled. They don't, they don't want to be uh, hassled in their buying process by co-op interviews. They don't want people in their business. They, they don't, they're no longer willing to, it seems to me, they're not mm-hmm. willing to put up with being uh, stressed out. Yeah, I was just going to say, it sounds like maybe perhaps the market is changing a little bit and the market that we've been so used to for decades might be slowly adapting or maybe there's a new type of buyer that's starting to enter the the buyer pool that's different from the old school buyer that we're used to and they're just viewing the products differently. Well, think about it. I mean, when they didn't, when buyers didn't have a choice, when I was kind of first starting in the business, they simply didn't have a choice. You had co-ops and a few condops and maybe a couple condos. That was it. And we didn't have a lot of new development. And mostly people, if they wanted luxury properties, they were living uptown. They weren't, yeah. they didn't have a lot of downtown options. And now the whole landscape has completely changed. People are like, what do you, I don't need to bother with that anymore. You know, um, yeah, I I I mean, I don't know how much you guys want to really talk about this, but I really am feeling, I mean, like really seriously, I think that we are seeing a bit of a sea change here in um because now buyers simply have choice that they mm-hmm. never had before. And they know, you know, we used to be Wall Street absolutely drove our luxury market and they wanted to live in certain buildings in in and they didn't have a lot of choice. They wanted to live on Park Avenue, Fifth Avenue, and those were the buildings. Those aren't the only buyers anymore. And those aren't the only buildings anymore. And so now um, people have choices and they and unless there's you give them a reason to choose. It's a lot of money. <laughs> you have to give them a reason to choose you. I, I think that's, no, it totally makes sense. This is one of the things that we've talked about before, which is that when you look at, you know, where people wanted to live for the longest time, it was the Upper East Side, it was the Upper West Side. That's kind of like, all right, you made it in Manhattan. These are the places you live, Park Avenue, Fifth Avenue, right? You know, Central Park West. That's changed now, right? You can, you can still have that same claim to cachet living in Brooklyn or living someplace else outside of the classic, you know, Manhattan neighborhoods, Sutton Place, et cetera. And I think the question I would have for you, and I, we didn't prep this, this is a little off script, but yeah, yeah. Are, co- <laughs> yeah. are co-ops changing from what you've seen? Are they, are they evolving to sort of meet this need or this new desire for buyers to be less probed, less poked and less stressed? Some very notable co-ops have made some very notable changes. I will not mention them but by name, but some have made major changes to the way that they uh, vet or function about their process of interviewing or making requirements of the people applying to live in their building. But there are plenty that have not, and it is it is alienating frankly, um, to the buyers. And I think we have to be careful uh, not to kill that part of the business because it's a real thing that's happening. I'm hearing every single day from buyers that they are terrified to go near a co-op because they just don't want the rejection, the intrusion, the them in their business. I mean, it's a real, it's a real fear. 
Yeah. It's it, not it, that they don't want to do applications. It's just they're spending a lot of money and then they're right. going to live there. So, right. And I, and I, and I think this really comes back to your, your statement about choice. And so, you know, I live in a co-op and when I, when I was searching for a place, you know, way back when there was this process, there was the co-op process and it was sort of known and understood that was it. And if you wanted a condo, there was some to choose from, but they were sort of in other areas and it was the higher closing costs. And, you know, now you get to the point where you do have that choice and, Honestly, I think co-ops represent a bit of a value here. And you you look around, you look across the landscape at you know what's selling. And you know, co-ops, as you mentioned, that whole process does add a bit of a discount, especially the fact that it's you know not real property, et cetera. You go into why there's a discount. But I mean, if you're looking for a value play, I would have to think that co-ops right now represent that that play. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as a as a broker, when I have a co-op listing, I'm always really try to include, even in the write-up, that, you know, that the, the building, let's say it functions very much like a condo so that people kind of are assured right up front that they don't have to be afraid of yeah. this particular co-op. You I, know? I don't know why more co-ops wouldn't just consider changing with the times. It doesn't seem like it's a very um, hard thing to get through once you have the will and the motivation to do it from the co-op board. And I think that's the biggest obstacles is the will and the motivation of the co-op board. Yeah. And once you get past that, just changing these bylaws doesn't seem like such a thing. And you open yourself up to a, a, a different market if you can convey that properly. But you know what? I want to shift to a different question here. Course, I want to talk yeah. about um, strategies that are working. We know the market's challenging. We know, and I agree with the contrarian view that John said on co-ops. That is such a good, there are some really good values out there right now. And a lot of these sellers are tired. They've been through 90 days of a tough, tough market. You got a wave of new listings coming on. John and I have been talking about that for weeks. You put those together, you're in like a buy zone, not a sell zone, a buy zone. So I'm just wondering for stubborn sellers, for those sellers that are, are yet to see it, how do you work with them to get through them to get those price cuts? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, as always, in, I mean, in my view, the, the strategy is always driven by the agenda of the the seller, right? If the client, depending on what the client needs, the client says, "Look, I mean, at a certain point, it, it's not worth it to me." Um, then you know, we're we know kind of what the what the boundaries are. If they know they just need to sell, then what I try to do is kind of have that conversation with them about where the buyers are at, because I think it is helpful to understand. Um, to look at it through the eyes of the buyers, because if you if you can understand that, then it's it's helpful. You know, it's it's not personal. It's just it's just a kind of a reality. I definitely use your thirty day uh, chart. You know, your days on market chart, because we all understand that you make the most money in the first thirty days of being on the market, and if that hasn't happened, and then you begin to look at what happens as the longer you're on the market, um, that's a real thing. And so, you know, my job is to help them make the most money in the shortest amount of time. So I I try to assure them that I'm on their side, you know, no matter what, that's always my goal. Are they listening or are they still stubborn? They They're are. listening. They're starting they to listen. Listening. Okay. I mean, again, it, it, it always comes down though to kind of where they're at. 
Yeah, their situation. Mm -hmm. Every seller's got a unique situation. Yeah. Hey, some sellers don't want to sell and that's okay. They'll go off market. They'll be like, I can't get my bid. I'll come back later. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I just want to follow that up because I feel like sometimes you can see the stubborn seller coming from a mile away, right? You sit down with them and they're like, well, my I think my place is worth three and a half million. You're like, well, it's a, it's a two bed in Yorkville. So I don't think you're going to get that. Now I am that seller, but Jillian, how would you convince me that A, I'm stubborn and B, I should I should lower my price before I even get to the listing stage? Well, my question would be is what first question is, why are you selling? If you want to sell because you're excited to move on and do something else, then, you know, it's all about that next chapter for you. So it's it's not me trying to tell you that you should take less money. That's not for me to say you shouldn't take less money if you don't want to. But if if by kind of cutting loose what you currently have and taking what let's say whatever the market has to hold, if by if by taking what the market working with what the market has to offer you allows you to move on to get the thing that you want, that's the most important thing of all. It yeah, isn't that's an elegant thing to yeah. say. That's a very graceful thing to say. And and you know what? The market does what the market wants when the market wants to do it. And that's another way of saying that um, without kind of insulting where the seller is. I kind of I kind of mm -hmm. love that. Um, do you find yourself at all looking at, at other listings that are having trouble selling active on the market and saying, hey, listen, how are we going to sell you when you got these five things out there um, that can't sell and they look like much better values? Is that any part of your strategy? It's it, it that's a great question and it, it it becomes part of the conversation. It it in a way uh, supports this is part of what's going on with the buying population. And then it be, kind of circles back to we have some choices to be making here. We either need to beat out we either need to position ourselves so that we're better than everybody else here and be best in class and see if that will work because we know what we're dealing with. If these guys, if we all are actually pretty well positioned, all of us, and it's just the vagaries of this particular market, then we've got to do something because this isn't working. So we can either A, make an adjustment and be better than everybody else and get the attention that way or try to. Or you can decide that that doesn't work for you and you can take a break and do something else. But it's all going to come down to why are you even selling in the first place? What's your other option? And if you don't really have to do anything, then maybe you want to sit this one out because this is not a great market for some properties properties that would have done amazingly well a few years ago. That's crazy. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, and that's a bitter, I'm going to use that term, bitter pill. Mm -hmm. And it is confounding and confusing and frustrating. And I really feel that with right alongside my clients, I'm, I really get it. And I, and I feel that frustration right alongside them. I wish I could change it. I can't. The only thing I can do is try to help them navigate it. But it, but it does, I think, ultimately come down to what do they want to do? And I don't even know that that's an easy question for people to answer because it may not be an easy Easy no, answer. it's it's not. And that's why I really appreciate your 
your very circumspect approach to this whole process, which is to focus it right back on the client and, and offer them honest, honest advice. And I feel like that's one of the mistakes that a lot of new agents make is they want to tell the client what they think the client wants to hear. Well, yes, I get to the high price. Oh yeah, I can sell it quick. Oh yeah, you don't need to change the, you don't need to say, you don't need to do anything that you're afraid of doing. And I think what you're saying is that you need to be able to have these honest conversations and it may be painful, but it might be in the client's best interest. And so I guess with that, I'll, I'll move on to my question, which is, you know, what kind of advice would you have for a new agent who's who's in this game and they're really kind of looking to to increase their business? I mean, aside from having these honest conversations, which are kind of hard to do, what kind of things do you wish you had learned on day one? Don't be afraid. You can't control what's happening. It's better to be honest and to communicate, even when you're kind of afraid to to deliver that bad news. And some people will get mad at you and yell at you and <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. It's not fun to have hard conversations. That's part of our jobs to be a punching bag for the clients when they realize they're not getting what they're getting. It's like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day though, unless you just want to be a salesperson, if you really want to elevate and kind of be in the business for a while and think of yourself as someone that they trust, who's an advisor, that's what they're really hiring you for. They are hiring you to advise them. And if it's a good match and they're willing to extend that trust, if you earn it, you know, you have to earn it. But if they are willing to, to kind of play, it's very, very rewarding. It, if they're not, it can be a little painful. <laughs> I love how you said there. If you want to be a salesperson, you go be a salesperson. If you want to be an advisor, someone that's going to guide your clients and they're going to listen to you. I mean, that is what it is all about, and that is that is how you up your game. And you don't. That does not happen in three months, six months, nine months. You have to build that trust with your clients and your colleagues. So the last question I have for you, Julianne, is right there. How do we successfully build that trust so that we could have the image of advisor? Listen, ask questions and then listen. That's how I tend to start all my relationships with my clients. I, I don't start out by talking a lot with them. I ask them a lot of questions and then I listen to what they say. I try to really understand where they're coming from, what they want, what's important to them. Then I try to put it together a strategy that will work, but I, I oft, I'm always checking in with them. I communicate with them a lot on the phone, in person, if possible, it's not always possible, but often on the phone, usually once a week, um, a lot by email as well, if they like it. I mean, depends. It's trying to understand how they like to communicate. But often up front, I think what the feedback I usually get, I don't know if this is helpful or will be helpful to people. The feedback I often get from clients is, or people who become my clients is, you actually listened to me. <laughs> 
Hey, hey, listen, a lot of agents, what I was saying. A lot of agents just spew out everything. They they here's all the charts, here's all the data. I know the market. You don't know anything. I tell you what's going on. And sometimes that's that that has a clash with the personality type of the person, the little rabbit that you're trying to, you know, um take in here as a deal. Um, I love it. I love it. And the confidence, I, can I just repeat that. I mean, I don't, I don't recall any top producer that is scared. You said, don't be afraid. That is scared to have a price cut conversation. That is scared to tell their seller, listen, I, I don't think your property is worth that. Show me some data that prove that and I'll, I'll hear you. But here's what I see, you know, yep. going confident. And that's, that's it. Confidence eludes a certain type of reaction from the, the person that's around that confidence. And they mm. tend to respect it and listen if it's respected. That's a good way of putting that. Yeah. I love it. John, any final thoughts here? No, wonderful stuff. Thank you very I, much, Julian. I, I love that ending. Julian, thank you so much. Julianne Bond, Senior Global Real Estate Advisor at Sotheby. Thank you so much for taking time and answering some questions about the challenging, very challenging nature of this market. It's like a bifurcated market, right? These products are doing well, and a lot of these others aren't. Very, very tricky. Um, that is John Walkup. I am Noah Rosenblatt. We're both from Urban Digs, and this has been Talking Manhattan, and we'll catch you next time.